Hi, InterVR listeners. I have exciting news to announce. In an effort to create more and better content, InterVR brought along a sponsor. It wasn't easy finding a sponsor that aligned with the values and ideals of the show, but I think we found the right partnership with Veer VR. Because the metaverse isn't going to build itself, and thankfully the tools to build it are becoming easier to use and more accessible to everyone. Tools like Veer. Veer is a social network supported by an ecosystem of hardware and software tools for a thriving community of 360 content creators all around the world. Whether you are capturing meat space or virtual environments, Veer helps you create, edit, and share 360 content. And best of all, it's totally free. I've been using Veer myself for the past couple months to capture and share some of my favorite memories, and I've been having a lot of fun doing it. So check out Veer on your favorite app store or go to veer.tv to get started. Now, without further ado, please enjoy the show. This is Enter VR. I'm Chris Miranda, your host, and today I'm speaking with Rene Pinel. He is the CEO and founder of Kaleidoscope VR. And Rene, thank you so much for joining me today. My pleasure, Chris. Thanks for having me. Ah, uh, man. So let's get let's 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 start with the easy one. What is Kaleidoscope, and how did it get started? So Kaleidoscope is a funding platform for immersive art and entertainment. Uh, we help artists secure uh, funding for original VR films, games, experiences. Um, we started in 2014 in San Francisco um, really as a company whose mission was to uh, support the artists who are starting to adopt this new medium. Uh, we weren't sure what we wanted to do, but we knew that we wanted to uh, be a part of what they were uh, working on because we were so inspired and so impressed by the early work that artists like um, – Drew and Patrick from Tilt Brush were, you know, creating, uh, and Tyler Hurd, and uh, you know, all the artists that were sort of in that first wave. Uh, we we were blown away by what we were seeing, and and realized that uh, there needed to be some organization out there that um, was the champion for those artists. And the first step was to uh, figure out who else is out there in the world making. Uh, you know, interesting stuff in VR. Uh, and the best way that we could think of to do that was with a festival. So a lot of people knew us early on through our, um, and for us that was really just an exercise to map uh, who is out there in the world uh, creating, you know, important uh, art and entertainment uh, with primarily virtual reality in the beginning, but now uh, also with, uh, you know, the whole uh, spectrum of uh, immersive art. Nice. And can you tell me more about the drive to push you to become the champion um, for the for VR artists? What, where, did the, where does the drive come from? Uh, well, I come from a family of artists. Um, both my parents are musicians. 
my grandparents were musicians. My great-grandfather was a vaudeville uh, acrobat. Um, on my dad's side, uh, my uncle was uh, uh, an independent filmmaker in the 70s and 80s. Uh, so I, I grew up surrounded by people in the you know creative disciplines, and uh, I knew uh, how important uh, their their work was. Art brings so much um, uh, pleasure and joy into all of our lives. Uh, but most people who are in you know uh, the entertainment industry uh, and in the art world, uh, it, it's it's quite a struggle. It's difficult to get your work made. It's um, it's almost like taking a vow of poverty for most uh, creatives. And that always frustrated me because I knew so many talented people that were just as talented as folks who were um, financially quite successful. And it felt like there's a lot of structural imbalance that created that dynamic. Um, so it's it's been something that I've cared about a lot in terms of thinking through, it, are there better systems out there that we could invent that um, help artists to get their projects made and to make money on those projects and to live uh, a more reasonable middle-class lifestyle instead of uh, really just having to be in constant freak-out mode for how are you going to pay your bills. Um, so that's 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 my motivation for starting the company and, and sort of my personal background and connection to the, uh, the problem we're trying to solve is uh, uh, this deep-seated frustration with how difficult it is to be an artist and a belief that there must be a better way of... Uh, doing business uh, that's more equitable uh, and fair for the, the artists. I commend the work you're doing. It really is something that seems necessary um, to make this thing happen. Now, from your standpoint, what is the current state of the virtual reality industry? Uh, so we're in a really magical moment right now where uh, for the first time uh, we're seeing projects being produced that uh, explicitly have the goal of making money. Uh, the, the sort of the first wave or two of, of projects were much more in the experimental demo phase, um, uh, but now we're seeing projects that are being budgeted and produced with the goal of returning, um, uh, a, you know, turning a profit, uh, and that's really important because uh, once projects start to become profitable, um, that's when we can. Uh, increase the number of people who are willing to put money in into projects. Right? You know, to date, most of the money that has flowed into projects has come from companies and organizations that have a vested interest in the VR ecosystem doing well. Um, but most of the money hasn't come from people who are wanting to invest in specific projects to get a return. And um, we think it's a really interesting development uh, to bring on people who don't particularly care one way or another about VR, but uh, care about making money and see um, uh, VR films and games as a way to do that um, because that's a much larger pool of capital that we could start to tap into. And so what timelines do you give out to these investors or potential um, partners uh, about the rise of uh, monetization for these projects? So, you know, the projects that are being released today are some of the first that, um, you know, it's still difficult, but, you know, projects can make, uh, you know, somewhere in the quarter of a million to a million dollars uh, is kind of the area that we've seen projects be profitable in. Mm -hmm. um, so if you budget your project correctly, you know, you can actually, you know, return two or three X for your investors. Um, in terms of when it gets more interesting, 
you know, I definitely think that most of the projects that are getting funded uh, now, you know, won't be released until next year uh, or maybe even 2020 in some of the bigger, you know, in cases of bigger projects. Um, so if, we, if, if we're just at this tipping point where projects that are being released now, some of them are profitable, we think that the projects that are getting funded today will be in a much better position when they're released in, you know, 12 to 24 months. Interesting. Now, what has been the most successful VR project to date that you know of, and what do you think made it so successful? Uh, well, I think the the best thing to do is to talk about the projects that we work on. So the project that's been the most successful to date is the uh, uh, Spheres project, uh, directed by Eliza McNitt. Um, we co-produced it with uh, Atlas V, um, and have had a you know an amazing team behind it as well as Protozoa uh, Pictures, which is Darren Aronofsky's company. Um, so that project we um, uh, premiered at Sundance, and we just uh, uh, did a, the largest seven-figure deal to come out of Sundance for it. Um, so that gives you a bit of the the scale of what um, projects can be. So if that that project's already cleared, you know, seven figures before it's being released we think that the uh, the total amount of money that the project can generate um uh, you know should be in the uh you know three to four million dollar range hopefully so from a, a big picture perspective what is what are the biggest obstacles facing immersive entertainment today oh well i mean it's the same stuff we've been talking about for a long time uh the, technology needs to be a little better a little cheaper uh the content needs to be you know a lot more in depth uh, deeper experiences uh you know we're getting close on both fronts but you know there, there'll definitely be some magic moment where you know the hardware delivers an experience for around the two to three hundred dollar price range i feel like that's the a, a really important number to hit and i think the standalone units are going to lead the way on that. I feel like we'll get to some uh, pretty awesome standalone units that allow uh, for inside-out tracking um, and six degrees of freedom and hand tracking uh, without any cables tethered and without the need to, you know, have a, an expensive PC. And, you know, all of those things are, you know, they're expensive and they're, they're uh, terrible from a user experience perspective. So as soon as we can get all of that into a standalone unit and have it priced um, you know, at a point that makes sense to consumers, which is probably, you know, around the $300 price point. I think that's where the hardware needs to get. And then on the content side, you know, we need to be delivering as much value, entertainment value, as you can get from, you know, movies, uh, TV, and uh, traditional gaming. Uh, and, and we're not there yet. Like, the, the, the content that's being produced is awesome, and uh, I think we've made huge strides since, you know, the industry really got started a couple of years ago. Um, but if we're honest with ourselves, if, a, you know, someone can spend, you know, $60 on a video game for a console that, you know, had a budget of like $100 million, like it's going to be very hard for, a, you know, any VR video game to compete with that right now. There's, it's just, you know, the, the content's not, uh, we're just not at a budget that uh, that's at a similar level. But that's where I think we need to get. We need to be producing content that uh, can compete with other options that consumers have to spend their money on. Uh, and uh, I, I feel like that's coming. I know of a lot of projects that are in development now, that are getting funding now, that are at a scale that I feel like will start to 
um, present consumers, uh, you know, a meaningful alternative to putting their money into, you know, going to the cinema or, uh, you know, buying a, 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 you know, expensive video game. Um, and that's, that's where I think we need to get to. And are you noticing that the, as the years go by, the software and the experiences are getting better and better? And, and, and sort of what I'm asking is, uh, are we learning from the past? And, and, you know, are we learning, for example, what not to do? Um, you know, when VR creators approach you or VR artists approach you, do you give them the advice in terms of like, look, we've learned, we've tried this, don't go that way, um, try this because it might work out. You know, how do you approach that, those questions? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, actually, I feel like there, it's less about telling them what not to do, um, uh, because I feel like, uh, you know, all, all the rules for what not to do sort of always get broken and people can find a way to achieve whatever people thought you couldn't do before. And, you know, like uh, the original one was like, don't move the camera, don't do cuts, don't do this and that. And, you know, it's it's much more a nuanced thing where you can do all that stuff. It's just a matter of how you do it. Um, but the biggest things that we tell artists um, right now is uh, is not so much on specific creative stuff and, and more about, um, you know, for the artists who are taking their work really seriously and wanting to make money from them, you've got to reverse engineer it and, and think about if I'm going to try to charge $10 for this VR film or this, you know, or $25 for this VR game I'm making – uh, you know, what, what do I need to have, um, to do that? Like how much gameplay do I need? How long does the experience need to be? Um, do I need to have well-known talent attached to the project? Um, do I need to have it be based on well-known IP? Like as much as I, I hate to say it, like, I, I feel like we need to, as an industry do what, you know, the entertainment industry as a whole has been doing for a long time, which is balance commerce and art. Um, so most of the advice I'm giving to creators right now is, is, is around basic stuff like that. Like, you know, uh, work hard to find, find some well-known IP or well-known talent that you can attach because that makes everything so much easier with your project from fundraising to ultimately getting consumers to pay for it, um, and to stand out, uh, you know, all that stuff. It's, it's not the only way, but, um, it certainly helps. Um, and, and thinking through what your financial model is, like how much money are you going to make on the project? How much do you think you can uh, generate from at-home sales on all the different headsets? How much money do you think you can make from location-based uh, exhibition opportunities? How much do you think you can make from licensing? How much do you think you can make from bringing brands on board? And thinking through all of those um, and making you know reasonable assumptions um, and trying to back it up with as much data as you can um, for comparables, uh, you know, how have other projects done? Um, ask, you know, colleagues that have already released projects, you know, to get some of those numbers, look at steamspy.com to uh, get some comparables for at-home sales. You know, if you, a lot of artists don't even think through that stuff. Um, and I think that's going to be a big, uh, a big thing that really separates the artists and studios that ultimately are successful with the ones that, that aren't um, is being able to juggle those two things of not only creatively delivering a project that's really uh, impactful, um, but thinking through the business case for it. Nice. Uh, Thanks for that thorough answer. We're down to the final question. This podcast will be short and sweet. Unfortunately, Uh, Renee, I got to have you back on the show, but uh, let's leave, let's leave with this. Um, It it seems to me that the sources of funding um, for these kinds of projects for VR immersive projects um, is sort of in flux. 
um, finding finding funding is 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 tricky. And I want to know what sort of advice do you give to creators as to where to find funding in 2018? Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, so that's that's the the role that we're trying to to step in and solve for these creators is to um, help be the organization that connects them with the various funding sources because it is. Uh, it's ever shifting. Some companies, you know, step up to the plate for a little while and are funding stuff, um, and then unfortunately um, are no longer in a position to support projects. Uh, can think of a lot of examples of that. Um, Viacom Next comes to mind. They supported a lot of amazing projects like Tyler Hurd's Chocolate at uh, the Last Sundance, a number of other projects, and unfortunately they just had to close operations. So, you know, there's a lot of uh, a lot of shifting sands. Uh, so you, you you know you have to stay on top of it, but typically, if you think about it, it's who has something to gain from uh, the VR you know content ecosystem doing well. Um, those are the people that are paying for content most. Um, so if you can you know uh, ask yourself that question, um, those are at least the types of people that you need to be talking to. Um, uh, but again, that's it's it's such a difficult thing to. Uh, find the right people at those organizations and their internal priorities are always shifting, um, which is why I think it's so important that we start to develop a new class of funding where it's people who are investing directly in a project to get a financial return. Um, Because again, that's a much more simple proposition, whereas in all the other cases of securing funding, you're essentially selling rights, you know, selling on a window of exclusivity to one person selling the right for a brand to be associated with your project and another. Uh, all of those things are um, uh, long negotiations, and each person you're doing a deal with needs something slightly different, so it's not terribly repeatable. Uh, whereas if you can make the case that your project is going to make money, then you can go to you know a much bigger pool of you know potential funders, and you can do deals that, are way more standardized and repeatable. Um, so it's not only faster for you to raise capital that way, but you know it'll be uh, faster to scale up the, the total dollars going into projects. So that's, that's the main task that Kaleidoscope is setting out for ourselves. Uh, definitely uh, in the, you know, we're going to uh, be pushing harder on that than anything else over the next year. And that's, that's probably going to be the thing we focus on, uh, you know, over the next like five years, um, because we think that that's, in the short term and probably the long term too, the, the most interesting place for uh, artists to get their funding is directly from people that want to invest in their projects as a financial vehicle, as opposed to just selling rights, which is important too. You got to do that as well, but it's um, it's a much harder process. Uh, so, anyways, that's that's my advice: is to think who has something to gain from um, uh, the VR ecos- content ecosystem doing well. Go after those people. And then uh, keep an eye on Kaleidoscope because uh, we're going to be uh, launching a new version of our funding platform sometime in the next couple of months that will make uh, the process of securing investment from you know uh, financial investors uh, a much more streamlined and direct and easy easy way to go. Rene Pinel, I've come to the conclusion that you, sir, are a true scholar and gentleman of virtual reality. Uh, how can <laughs> people stay in touch and follow up with all the things you're doing these days? Um, uh, you can drop me an email at Renee at KaleidoVR.com, uh, R-E-N-E at K-A-L-E-I-D-O-V-R.com. 
Uh, that's my email. Um, or you can just go to our website, uh, kaleidoscope.fund. Uh, kaleidoscope is a crazy, crazy difficult word to spell. I couldn't spell it until we started the company, and even uh, still I have trouble spelling it sometimes because it's uh, not terribly intuitive. Um, but ask Google, and it will probably correct your spelling, and you'll find your way to our website. And Chris will include a link, I'm sure. Indeed, I will. All the links uh, that uh, Renee just mentioned will be included in the show notes. Um, Renee, thanks again for your time, and I look forward to seeing you running into you in the metaverse or meet space, either or. Thanks again, man. Likewise, Chris. You take care. <laughs>